We're going to look at week two of the book of Philippians. Last week we looked at Philippians chapter one, and the thesis of the chapter is you can have joy no matter what. Today we're going to break down Philippians two, and we're going to break it down by scripture chunk. Uh, I want to dive into the text a little bit, but it's going to be very applicable. The theme of Philippians chapter two is one word, and that is humility. Let's do a quick reminder of what is taking place. Philippians is known as the joy epistle. Epistle is just another word for a literary writing, but Paul is teaching us that through it all, no matter what situation comes your way, you can have joy. That is the theme of this four-chapter book, and Paul is writing this and telling us that we can have joy while he is stuck in prison, 20 feet below ground, shackled to a prison guard who stinks, who looks funny, who doesn't want to be there, who's more than likely having a stick and is hitting him every once in a while just to annoy him, to show him that he is under his authority. And every eight hours, a new prison guard would come in, take off the shackles off Paul and put new ones on. And that would be high security or maximum security. And Paul, in the middle of all this, just think when you finally fall asleep, your eight hours is up and another guard comes, kicks you, wakes you up and shackles you and tries to go to sleep again. In the middle of all this, the middle of smelliness, of rats, of soup, of all this going on, Paul begins to write this book on joy. I don't know about you, but I don't think that would be the book that I would be writing in prison. With all of this going on, I'm getting beat, I'm getting abused, I'm getting tormented, it stinks, it's smelly, and I'm going to sit there and think the best thing I can do is write a book on joy. Maybe it's because joy, uh, Paul had a revelation of something beyond what was in the work in the natural. That's what we talked about last week. This week, let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Let's read in your outline as Kern reads a lot of text today. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. A simplified way of understanding what we just read, put others first. Okay? Um, I want to show you this picture on the screen of Charlie Brown. And I think it's something that we can all relate to at some level. It's Charlie. Is that Lucy? Um, is, uh, Lucy says, you a doctor? Ha, that's a big laugh, Charlie. You can never be a doctor. You know why? Because you don't know, you don't love mankind. That's why. And Charlie responds back with an answer I think that we all would respond back with. I love mankind. It's the people I can't stand. <laughs> I love mankind, but it's the people. We, we would all agree that uh, you've been on a phone call with somebody trying to figure out how come there's a credit card transaction on your credit card statement that shouldn't be there. And by the time the phone call conversation gets done, you want to crawl through that phone and squeeze the neck of the person on the other line because they're not willing to help you. They're not going. They say that they're doing all they can, but you know that they're not doing all they can. And it drives you crazy because it's people on the other line that disturb my happiness. 
that disturb me. And I, I, I got to say something to you that whenever there is somebody on the other line that might be the issue, maybe, just maybe, you're considered that people too for someone else. Oh, man. We're getting hard right here off the beginning. I have discovered that most problems in my life are because of people. <laughs> it's either their fault or it's my fault. I am that people. I can be the biggest challenge to my joy. Most don't want to admit that they are part of the problem. I remember a gentleman coming to me in our previous church. He said, Pastor Taylor, I've had nine jobs in two years. Every boss I've had, and he went off on them. They're blankety-blank. They're idiots. They're no good. I don't like them. They're terrible bosses. I'm a great employee. They're not any good. And I listened to him rant and rave for about 10 minutes or so, and then I said, hey, Michael, here's what I need you to do. I said his name. This person, hey, this is what I need you to do. Um, I want you to take all nine of those bosses that you got fired from. I want you to write their name on a piece of paper, and I want you to write down what you didn't like about them and why you got fired or why you quit. And he looked at me like that was the dumbest thing I'd ever said to somebody. And you could just tell. You know by the facial expression someone tells you, like, man, you're an idiot. I'm going to do this because you're my pastor, but you're an idiot. I got that facial expression. It was given to me. And uh, he said, okay. I said, I want you to come back here tomorrow afternoon, and let's talk about what's going on. So I needed to find the root cause of what was taking place, and I didn't want his emotions to be involved in it, so that's why I was doing that. The next day he comes back. He has two pieces of paper, and uh, he's on, on the first piece of paper, he wrote the boss's name and why they were bad. He wrote the second boss, and why they, he went down all nine of these bosses and why they were bad. And, and, he's, and, and then he said, Pastor Taylor, I, th I think I discovered the problem. And he handed me a second page. And on the second page was one word, the name Michael. That was him. <laughs> Michael said, as I got through my list, I discovered I had the same problem everywhere I went. Then I thought about it. I couldn't believe that I worked for nine different bosses that had the same exact problem. So maybe, just maybe, I was the one with the problem. Here's a hard reality we have to understand. When we think of ourselves more highly than others, we start becoming judgmental and critical. This is why Paul is teaching us, look at the interest of others, is what he says. Don't look at everything through your personal lens. Look at them through the God lens. Look at them through what they are going through, not what you think about the situation. I was in a home a few weeks ago, and to be quite honest, I was disgusted by what I was hearing. The husband and wife were yelling and screaming, and they were in... They were having some marital issues. And at first, I was like, God, get me out of here. Like, I, I, this, I don't even want to be here. My, my, my day goes good. I don't want to mess with this stuff. And then all of a sudden, I had to check in my spirit. They don't know any better. They are the problem that they are trying to fix. And they don't even know what their problem is. So a 45-minute job turned into a two-hour counseling session with them and helped them say, okay, what is the real issue? What is the root cause of what's going on? Once I change my perspective in the situation... I could then help 
what somebody else was going through. So after a, a reality check to myself was I had to look at them through the way that God looked at them, not the way that I wanted to look at them. And so many times we look at people through our own perspective. They don't know what they're talking about. They're not any good. But it's time what Paul is teaching us that we need to look at those people through God's perspective. We've got to put others first. So whenever we look at these first four verses of chapter two. This is what I believe Paul wants us to grab a hold of. In your outline, we're going to have the first takeaway, or we're going to call it Paul's principle. And the first one is put others before you. Not revelational, but we're summarizing, summarizing the first four verses of Philippians 2. This is what Paul is trying to tell us. Don't be so caught up in you that you put your agenda in front of someone else. What if we lived in that type of mindset that we put others first? It would change our outlook. It would change our perspective. It would change what would happen. It would change us that we don't get bitter and mad over nonsense, but we can keep the joy that Paul talks about. Let's look in your outline and keep going. So the first four verses of chapter 2 summarizing is Paul is telling us, put others first. Let's break down the next three verses or so. Go for it, Kern. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The basic idea of this text is the lowering of Jesus to become man. And then the next chunk of scripture we'll look at is the raising of Jesus to be our Savior. But to fully grasp what Jesus did for us, we have to grasp what he gave up for us. Here is the text that Paul traces downward steps of Christ Jesus to becoming Jesus Christ. Let's write down, Jesus gave up. And this is what Terrence said a while ago, Holy Week. This is the, the precursor of what Jesus did for you. He was in heaven and he came down to earth. This is what Jesus gave up for you. Number one, he gave up his divinity. The text is from whenever you see the bold, the form of God in verse 6. Jesus as God gave up his deity or his divine nature to come to earth and to save you. He had a good thing going on. Wouldn't you agree? Number two, Jesus gave up his humility. This is in verse 7 where he says he became the form of a servant. Jesus as God didn't need anything in heaven. He had everything he would ever need, but he chose to lay aside every privilege he had as God to come down to earth, to go through torment, to go through pain for your and my salvation. Jesus gave up number three, his humanity. In verse eight, being found in human form, Jesus as God came into a physical body lived a sinless life, was beaten and rose again for you and I. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for you. Paul is describing the incarnation of Jesus so that you can understand what Jesus did for you was to humble himself and serve other people. What major takeaway that Paul is wanting us to learn here is Paul's principle. Write it down. The second Paul's principle is Jesus put others before himself. 
So Paul is showing us we've got to put others before us. And then in the very next passage of scripture, Paul tells us, look at Jesus as your example. He chose to put others before himself and he put you before himself. Are you following along? Are you following along? Okay, just making sure. If you're not, we'll, we'll go back. Let's look at the third chunk of scripture, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. Go for it. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul just showed us the dissension of Jesus from heaven to earth. And now we read the ascension of Jesus and the process that he, grow, he goes through. Jesus had to go through a process. And I believe we all have to go through that same thing, but in a variety of ways. Paul shows us three things about humility that was the process of what Jesus went through. Are you following me? Number one, humility is sometimes painful. In verse 8, it says he went to the point of death, even on a cross. I would think that would be painful. <laughs> For Jesus, the Son of God, to give up his position was humbling. He is the second person of the Trinity. That's a big deal. <laughs> but he gave it up for you. He gave it up for me. He gave it up, and in his obedience... He paid a huge sacrifice at the cross. The second part of the process that Jesus had to go through was he understood that humility is always hopeful. Humility is always hopeful. Verse 9, God highly exalted him. Because Jesus humbled himself before the Father, the Father highly exalted Jesus. The words highly exalted in Greek means hyper or super exalted or over the top. When you have humility, you can become hopeful because Christ is our example and what God did for us, Jesus will do for you. What God did for Jesus, Jesus will do for you. What God did for Jesus, Jesus will do for you. What God did for Jesus, God highly exalted Jesus because he humbled himself. Jesus will do for you. If you humble yourself, <laughs> it goes over the top. We think small, God will do a little. No, no, the, the text in Greek literally means humbled, exalted, highly exalted, over the top. So Jesus wants to take you over the top. But maybe he's got to knock off some rough edges first. I don't know. Number three, humility is ever needful. We always need humble people. If you're, if you're arrogant, no one wants to mess with you. That's my fault. I'm there, I know. I get it. I get short. Why are you doing that? That's my dad coming. I'm a work in progress, Terrence. You don't have to yell at me. But humility is something that we all have to walk in. Humility is a lifestyle that is needed because it shows your dependency upon Jesus. Because it's real easy not to be humble. <laughs> it's real easy to 
tear into somebody. It's real easy to give someone a piece of your mind. It just shows whenever you are humble that you're more dependent upon Jesus working in your life because you don't let the flesh get the best of you. Let me say it this way. If Jesus Christ can humble himself, then I think you can humble yourself. (laughs) Don't think of yourself more highly than someone else. Humility is a requirement for the person who desires to be a fully devoted follower. As you recall from last week, Paul was writing this letter to a church that was established for 10-ish years. They were somewhat mature Christians, and he was telling them, hey, as a mature Christian, you still need to be humble, and you need to be humble more now than you were before. So I think Paul's principle that we're going to write down for this chunk of Scripture is the way up is down. (laughs) If we want to be highly exalted, we've got to humble ourselves. If we want to be taken to levels that only God can take us to, we've got to humble ourselves. Let God be the one to promote you. Don't you try to make the promotion happen. In, in our, our last church, it was a large church. I had people every single Sunday come to me and tell me how they wanted to be on staff. They thought God called them to be a pastor of church. And it, it, it was amazing. They, they just... They thought that they could push their way through. And it's like, no, we don't push our way through. We submit ourselves to God and let God exalt us. Let God take us where he needs to go. Don't get me wrong. There there are times that you can't just be a pushover, okay? You, You can't be a pushover all the time. But at the same time, you have to say, God, humble me in my calling. Humble me in what you've placed on my life so I can walk in it. And and the literal word is God will take you higher, higher, over the top. So I think Paul is teaching us the way up is down. Does that make sense? You guys getting all this? It's a lot. This is literally, I I should have broken this down to like five different sermons, each chunk. Uh, I, I wrote Oh, it actually came out to be like two and a half hours. And I figured you guys wouldn't want to stick around for two and a half hours. So I took out and I just made all the highlights of all my stuff and came up with this. So let's look at the next chunk of scripture, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Current. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul is teaching us that being a disciple is a process that we go through. What Paul is showing us is that Jesus is our example. Do what Jesus did to have what Jesus had. Jesus set a new standard for us. I found this quote several years ago, and I thought it made sense here by Mark Twain. A good example in your outline is annoying (laughs) because it is a standard that is hard to hit. However, it is meant to inspire us. If you're playing a sport in school, they give you a coach. The coach begins to set a standard of what that gameplay is supposed to look like. Coaches are a great thing. I have a business coach. I have a ministry coach. I have a pastoral coach. I have people that speak into my life. I have people that go back and listen to these messages and they call me and say, okay, how was this? What did you do here? Why did you do this? And they are coaching me to become better at what I'm supposed to do. A coach can take you further 
than you can get by yourself, and they can accelerate the amount of learning time to a smaller amount if you have a coach. So what uh, Paul is telling us here is that we have to work out our own salvation. We're going to use a play on of those two words, work out. And if we're going to work out your salvation, you got to, number one, you got to get a good coach. Write that down. If you're going to work out your salvation, you got to get a good coach. Personally, I believe this church is for you. I'm just putting that out there. Don't try to figure this out on your own. My dad always told me, those who grow alone grow weird. Get someone who is further along than you and get them to coach you, to mentor, to disciple you. Number two, how do we work out our salvation? This is Paul putting some practical application in place. Number two, practice what you learn. It's on the screen. Step out in faith. Put your salvation to work. This text in verse 12 uses the word workout, which literally means to maintain constant energy and effort to finish a task. Get in you what's supposed to be in you so what's in you can come out of you and the right thing that comes out of you is the right thing that you put in you. We talked about that during our detox series last month, but let me say it this way. You can't work out what God hasn't first worked in. You can't work out what God hasn't first worked in. You need to get the word of God in you. You need to get prayer in you. You need to get worship in you. You need to evangelize the lost in you. You need to share the gospel with people often. You've got to get that in you so it can be worked out of you. Number three, follow a plan. The third thing I think Paul is trying to show us when we have to work out our salvation, we've got to follow a plan. A coach will not put a one-size-fits-all workout plan in front of you. A personal trainer, if they're good, will tailor it to you to help you get the most benefit out of what you're going through. You need to have a plan for your spiritual success. You need to have a plan for your marriage. You need to have a plan for your children. You need to have a plan for what God's doing in your life. Don't try to fake it till you make it and figure it out as you go. Get a plan because if you have a plan, you can go further in a shorter amount of time. Are you following me? Number four, this is a fun one. <laughs> Don't flex in the mirror. <laughs> Don't flex in the mirror. This has never been my problem. I went from physical growth from skinny kid Taylor to fat kid Taylor, fat adult <laughs> Taylor. I never had to like get in the mirror and examine myself. It just wasn't ever an issue for me. But what I mean for this is when you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, one translation says with deep uh, reverence, God wants to do and work a uh, work in you. And so don't get in the front of the mirror and say, look how good I am. Look how strong I am. Get in front of the mirror and say, God, thank you for allowing me to have this opportunity. God, thank you for putting me in this situation. Thank you for the people. Change your attitude. Change your mindset so it's not looky, 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 here's me, but God, look what you're doing in me. What I think Paul wants to show us here, again, none of these are revelational, but just principles that we can live by. What Paul wants to show us here is I have to grow in Christ. I have to grow in Christ. Our relationship with God is a continual work in progress. We cannot give up on that part of our lives. We never arrive this side of heaven. We are always in training. Let's look at the last portion of our scripture that we're going to look at for chapter 2 of Philippians. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Hmm that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, 
among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is teaching here that we have to let our light shine. Here's a candle, orange. That's my favorite, citrus, because all my carpet cleaning stuff, citrus. I like it. So I have candles that match what I call Okay. The, here's a candle. <laughs> It's warm, it's gentle, but it really doesn't do a whole lot of good for heat. In this room, with other light around, it doesn't really do much good. It's just a small little candle. Hopefully that doesn't fall. I can get wax on if it does, so it's okay. Here is a, I'm not going to shine it in your eyes. We tell our kids, don't shine it in your eyes because it gets kind of bright. But here is a flashlight. This is a really strong, like, how many lumens, Terrence? Can you tell by looking at the light? <laughs> Some electrician you are. <laughs> is it like 8,000 lumens? Is that a thing? I, 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 That's probably 800. Like 800 lumen <laughs> flashlight that's bright. And what happens is whenever we shine our light, there's a couple of different methods that we can do it. Some people have this type of method. They shine their light and they get all up in your face. You're a sinner. You're going to hell. I'm standing on the street corner and we're going to yell and, and preach at you. And the power of God is not present. And what they're doing is just really not very good. It kind of hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, that's not very good. Yeah, but then there's some people who say, I'm going to share my gospel this way. I got a little light. Just come and follow me. It's going to be okay. Like, you might be good in a tent. <laughs> but are you going to get that unbeliever in a tent? No. Paul is saying, you've got to shine a light. I'll put that over there. <laughs> you, you've got to shine a light, but there's a proper way of shining your light. You can shine it too bright and be offensive to people, or you can shine it not bright enough and not have any effect on what you're doing. You water down a gospel. There is a, the, the, these are kind of humorous examples, but I want you to understand they are terrible ways to shine the light of Jesus that's on inside of you. How many of you enjoyed having that light flickered in your face? Why not? Because it didn't meet the need of where you were at. What this light is supposed to do is if all the lights were on, you put the light in front of you. And then all of a sudden, everything where you go is lit. There, okay, there's something right there I can hold on to. Whenever the light is in front of you, it gives direction to where you're supposed to go. So whenever I shine the light of Jesus, I've got to give the proper direction on where we're supposed to go. If something is before you, every time you walk, you walk in what that is before you. If there is a puddle of water before you, what are you going to do? Walk right in it. If something is in front of you, you walk in whatever is in front of you. So if you shine a light and you keep the light in front of you, you walk in the light of what Jesus called you to walk in. Oh, it's got all these little buttons you got to go through. Dumb. 
Rather, the light is meant to shown to be shown the pathway for living in Jesus. The light that shines gives guidance and it gives direction. Paul shows us two different ways that in wisdom we can shine the light. Number one, write down, we analyze the condition of the people. In verse 15, there is a word crooked. It actually means scolio, where we get the word scoliosis from. A bending of the spine, which is where a person's spine cannot support the weight of what the body carries. The second word it uses is the word perverse, which means to twist and to turn. When you put these together, when we see people without Christ, uh, they, they cannot hold the weight of the world because they are twisted and turned because they have a demonic foothold on their life. Whenever you go and attack them, they will not be able to receive what you're trying to say because you shone, shine, brighted the light. You demonstrated the light in such a way that they cannot be receptive of it. What Paul is saying is you've got to analyze the person that you're trying to shine the light too. When we analyze the condition of the person, we decide to put ourselves out of the way and say, what is the best way we can reach this person? Does that make sense? Okay. The, you can, my, my dad always told us this growing up. Um, you, you've all heard the statement. You can win the battle and still lose the war. He would tell us when someone would come against us at church or at school, you can win the battle, but you're going to lose the war. What he was really teaching is to be humble. You don't have to be right. Number two, this is a weird way of saying this, but it starts with the letter A, and I, keep, I like to keep them the same. Advertise your Jesus to people. <laughs> Analyze the condition of the people. Advertise your Jesus to the people. How do you do that? Write down number one, you got to have the right attitude. Verse 14 says, don't grumble. Is your attitude shining your light? Oh. Another word for grumble is to mutter under your breath. Change your attitude to be like Christ. No one in here ever hears me talking bad about anyone else because I will not grumble against anyone else. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what's going on. And for me to grumble against them is to do directly what Paul says not to do, is not to grumble. I weaken my light force. Number two, you got to have the right actions. Write that down. How do you advertise your Jesus to people with the right attitude and the right actions? Verse 14 says, this is your disputing. Don't talk bad about your coworkers to another coworker. That is not shining your light. How do you have the right actions? Verse 16 says, hold fast, or some translations say holding forth, which kind of makes more sense. Uh, if you hold forth, you have, or, or you hold fast, you put a good grip on the word of God and, and the, the message that he has for you, you have the proper grip on it. And when you have the proper grip on the word, you know what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. If you hold it forth, it's what we talked about a while ago. The light shines in front of you. You hold the message in front of you. And everywhere you go, you shine the light of Jesus. Paul's principle here is our last principle that we're going to look at. And you can guess what it is. Shine your light so people can receive it. I think so many people say, shine your light, shine your light, shine your light. You know, on the old, on the, the West Coast, East Coast, anywhere where they have those big light, what are those things called? Light towers, where they, a lighthouse. 
they shine the light out for the boat to be able to see where to go. If they shine the light directly in the captain's eyes, he's not going to be able to see. But they shine the light to give direction of where that boat's supposed to be or not to be. When we shine our light, you hear it all. you got to shine your light. No, no, no. I'm putting a caveat on there. Shine your light so people can receive it. Shine your light in such a way that they can be ministered to by what's going on in your life. I've got a family member that loves to sit on the street corners and preach. He's written books about it. He doesn't do anything. He is so excited about what he's doing, but he has zero effectiveness because he's shining that light in people's eyes in such a way they can't receive it. Now, again, there's always an exception to the rule. If you're doing that and the power of God's showing up, go for it. If you're out praying for people, miracle sign things, are, oh, go for it. But if you're out there just da 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 and they're just sitting there looking at you, you didn't shine your light effective. And more than likely, you did more harm than good. So what Paul is telling us here, we've got to shine our light in such a way that people can receive it. Let's summarize all of this. Looking at Paul's principles I guess we could have just skipped the whole message and just gone straight to this right here. But here's what Paul is teaching us in Philippians chapter 2. We put others before us, choosing Christ as our example. In order to be exalted, the way up is down. And as this happens to me, I grow in Christ so I can shine my light for all men to see Jesus in me. Paul is showing us in humility Christ can be seen, and that brings internal joy. In humility, Christ can be seen, and that brings eternal joy, internal joy. If you want to have joy, you've got to be humble. You've got to lower yourself to say, God, I'm in need of you. And that's what this season that we're going into of Easter it's a man came and lowered himself. He humbled himself and God exalted. And we're going to talk about that next week and what that looks like. It's going to be good. But we're going to do it in a different building. Let's pray before I start jumping in that direction. <laughs> Lord, thank you that you came to earth in bodily form because we needed a savior. We honor you for that this morning, and we thank you for that. God, I thank you that we are all carriers of the light of Jesus Christ, and I pray, God, that we effectively shine our light so bright that they see you, that your light shines in us. God, I, I ask that this next week you put people across our pathway that need your light. That, God, that this week you, you, you make us soul winners. You give us the heart of a soul winner. You, you make us at a, come to a place where we say, God, our lives are meaningless without you, and we've got to tell everybody else that following Jesus is the best decision that you can make. So, Lord, use us to shine your light among all men that they may receive the hope and the glory of who you are in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. For more content like this, visit our website, 
www.pathwaychurchok.com to see the variety of ways you can download this content and so much more. It's our pleasure that you would tune in, and we believe that if you take the content you just heard, write down the parts that spoke to you, and work on a plan to apply it, you will not be the same person a year from now. We hope today you can take this content, apply it, share it, let it change you, and you can become all God has called you to become. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll be together again soon. Until then, keep growing.